Well, good morning. Well, hey, are you thankful for the uh, cool weather? I'm telling you, last week I'm going, what is this? Like, uh, we're not supposed to, we're supposed to have that nice long spring with no humidity, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's 93 degrees, you know? So we're going to get that soon enough. It's good to have the, it's good to have the cool weather back. Well, the, uh, on Thursday, we, Diana and I took uh, our two kids, uh, well, Justin and Kayla, we took them down to Charlotte to the airport, and they flew uh, and are in Germany for the next uh, 10 days or so with some friends of ours. And while we were down there at the airport, first of all, don't ever go to the Charlotte airport unless you have to, right? I mean, you just don't want to, you just don't want to make, made me appreciate so much the Raleigh airport and how easy it is to, to get around and to park and, and all of those things, but on the way down there, I was thinking that I have become convinced that one of the greatest inventions of the past 20 years is the GPS. I mean, I love GPS. It was not that long ago that we used a map. Kids, do you know what a map is? They're going, no, not really. An atlas, right? You, you didn't go anywhere unless you had your atlas. And, and then um, I can remember that for a long time, we used what AAA called a trip tick, trip tick, right? You went and got your trip tick and you thumbed through that, you know, thing and all the books and everything. And, 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 and now, now we have GPS. And I, I just, I've become so convinced that that is like one of the greatest inventions ever. You type in the address and, and, and then over these directions start coming with this woman in the sweetest, kindest voice. So different than what I remember growing up when we were on family trips and my dad going, tell me I can't, I'm driving, I can't, you know. And this lady's going, turn right in 2.3 miles. And if you don't like that, she can have a British accent or Australian accent. And she never gets frustrated or upset. Every once in a while, she's recalculating, you know, doing those kind of things. You know, but for the most part, it's just a pleasant experience. And when you, when you do get lost, she recalculates real quickly and you're back on track. And I just think, man, that is like one of the greatest inventions ever. There's a lot of things I'd give back, but I wouldn't give GPS back. It's just awesome. You know, I was thinking about it in relation, this is what pastors do in relation to spiritual things. And, you know, I thought the, the GPS, it was raining so hard on Thursday. And, and you know, we, I wasn't sure exactly, you know, the turns and everything. And, and that pleasant voice would say in 9.9 miles, take exit so-and-so. And I thought, wow, it's great comfort because I can focus on driving and, and then I'm getting these instructions as I go and, and what a great helper. And I thought in a spiritual sense that, that that is what the Holy Spirit should be in the life of a believer, a comforter and a helper. And we started last week just a short mini-series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, today is week two of that. And, and really, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives us direction, gives us guidance, tells us where we ought to go and how to get there. And, and when, we, when we make errors, when we, when we get off the wrong path, he recalculates, recalibrates us and helps us get back on the right path. Now, I want you to stop for just a moment and I want you to think about what Jesus said to his disciples the night before he was crucified. John chapter 16 and verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's, 
As I said to you last week, sometimes a very confusing verse for those of us that are Christ followers. When Jesus says to his disciples, it's really better for you, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now he's saying to them that there's a helper, the Holy Spirit, that's going to come and he's going to dwell inside of us. Most of you, if you've known Jesus for a long time, you're probably familiar with the theological truth that the Spirit of God comes and he indwells us at the point of salvation. You've probably heard that a hundred or more times, but have you ever stopped to think just how great that reality is that when we've trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, that he literally comes and he takes up residence in our life? In fact, right now, as I speak, the Holy Spirit is alive in me. As you listen, he's alive in you. When you feel like you're all alone and that nobody cares, that's not true because the Holy Spirit cares. As you drive home in the next few minutes, he's there. As you eat lunch, he's there. So be careful what you eat. As you walk the dog this afternoon, he's with you. Now that's awesome just to think about that. Like, The Holy Spirit goes on a dog walk with you. That's unbelievable. As you go to work tomorrow, the Holy Spirit goes with you. As you go to school tomorrow, the Holy Spirit goes with you. He's with you because he indwells you. As you go to Harris Teeter and you buy your groceries, he's there. He's with you. As you go through the painful circumstances that inevitably are part of life, he is right there. He's with you every single moment of every day. And now that we know what Jesus was saying to his disciples when he said, hey, it's going to be better for you, I say it is better. It's awesome. Jesus was with his disciples. He walked with his disciples. He talked with his disciples. But now the Holy Spirit of God is indwelling us. He's with us all the time. And that's why Jesus said it's better. In fact, I would say that it's really incredibly awesome that God dwells with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked about last week that when Pentecost came, there was a lot of excitement. In fact, in our study last week, we saw that Jesus himself had promised his disciples that he would not leave them alone. In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, he promises that there would be a parakletos, It's that Greek word that when it is translated in the New Testament Holy Spirit, it refers to him as as comforter, as helper. Now I want you to understand that the first manifestations of the Holy Spirit were not character oriented. It's important for you to understand that. They were sign oriented. When we see the Spirit of God indwell believers early in the book of Acts, The Bible doesn't say that after they were filled with the Holy Spirit that those in the upper room went out with the fruit of the Spirit and and they had love and they had joy and they had peace and they had gentleness and kindness and so on. It says they immediately began talking in other tongues. And in that way, the unbelievers that were amongst them knew that something supernatural had taken place. Tongues were for the authentication of the gospel message. In fact, you remember when we talked about that text last week, how they said, wow, you're Galileans, you're unlearned, you're not educated. How can you possibly know these languages to speak to us in our tongue? These were sign gifts. We're going to talk a little bit next week about uh, spiritual gifts and some of those, the sign gifts. And so stay tuned next week because we're going to get into a, a little bit more of those sign gifts of the Spirit. Initially, 
the Holy Spirit indwelt only those in the upper room, but then gradually, soon, however, the Holy Spirit was indwelling other believers. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, in verse 31, we read, when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What you do need to understand is after Acts chapter 19, and we'll talk about this again a little bit more in two weeks, there's no other recorded instances in the New Testament of individuals receiving the Holy Spirit apart from salvation. And there are countless proof texts in the New Testament that assure us that when we become followers of Jesus Christ, that Christ, uh, uh, in the form of the Holy Spirit, comes to indwell us. Classic text is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. 1 John chapter 4 verse 13 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he's given us his spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, I love these verses. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Don't you like that? A guaranteed inheritance? I don't have any guaranteed inheritance here on this earth, but Jesus says that through the Holy Spirit, he has guaranteed us, he has sealed us with the promise. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and and that's great, but what's he doing inside of you? If you had a person that when you woke up this morning, you went into your guest room and you realized somebody was laying in the bed, you'd want to know what was the purpose for him being in your guest room, right? I don't think many of you have such the gift of hospitality that you'd go, hey, it's fine, it's the guest room, doesn't really matter who you are, it's good to have you. You wouldn't do that, right? You'd want to know why. Why have you come to sleep in my guest room? What are you doing here? I'm convinced, and it's really sad, that for many of us as Christ followers, we know theologically, if you've known Jesus for some time, you know theologically that the Spirit of God has come to live inside of you, but you really don't have any clue what he's supposed to be doing there. It's very, very important that I think we understand What the Holy Spirit does after the point in which he comes to indwell us, what does he do, what is he capable of doing in our life on a daily basis? I want to summarize a few things that I gave you last week that he does in our lives. He gives us assurance that we know Jesus. He bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, Romans 8. He empowers us. He gives us the strength, the ability, not only to testify about the gospel, so therefore when you think you're scared and you can't possibly share your faith with a coworker or a classmate or a neighbor, that's not true. He empowers us. Acts 1.8, we talked about this last week, but, but you will receive power. The English word probably is better there, the Greek word translated dynamite. There's an incredibly explosive power that's available to us because he empowers us. Romans 8, 14, he leads us. Some of us live in a state of confusion, not knowing what God wants us to do or what God doesn't want us to do. I was in a conversation this morning with a, or this, this, this week with a pastor friend of mine, and I was very encouraged because he said he's become convinced of how to determine the will of God, much like I believe God has worked in my life. And that is that as I walk in the Spirit, he leads me. And I believe you get to the point where when you are, Psalm 37, 4 and 5, when you are delighting yourself in the Lord, 
The Bible says that he gives you the desires of your heart. He can give you the desires of your heart because when you are delighting yourself in the Lord, when he is the sole focus of your attention, you know what to do. I believe you get to the point in your life when you're walking in the spirit where there are so many things where God says, what do you want to do? And this I was talking about in the context of a guy and he had several job opportunities and we were talking about him walking with the Lord and what his relationship with the Lord looked like. And, and he said, I've just become convinced that God just says, what do you want to do? As you're delighting in me, as I'm the center of your attention, he leads us because he's taken up residence in our life and because we're delighting ourselves in him, he leads us, he guides us. He also helps us understand the Bible. We talked about this a little bit last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul told the church at Corinth that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. We need the Spirit of God in order to be able to understand them. Could it be that the reason why some of us don't understand even simple biblical principle and theological terms is because the Holy Spirit of God is not indwelling us? We don't have the ability to be, able, to be able to even understand it because it is spiritually discerned. Apart from the Spirit of God, we can't understand the Bible. As we walk in the Spirit, as we're filled with the Spirit, he helps us understand the Bible. He also molds our character and he produces fruit. We're going to talk about this in a few moments, but it's important to know that he is the one that molds our character and produces fruit. If you remember, we were in the book of Galatians. We talked about what it meant to live under law as opposed to living under grace. When you live under grace and you live in the Spirit, you come to the recognition that it is Him that produces the fruit. If you think you produce the fruit or I think I produce the fruit, then what does that breed? It breeds a sense of legalism, right? It breeds a sense of, well, I did this. No, apart from the enablement of the Holy Spirit, I do not produce fruit. He produces fruit. He molds my character. And then Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, when we walk in the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. He gives us victory over the flesh. Now, just to further review, the indwelling of the Spirit incurs at the moment of salvation, but being filled with the Spirit or walking in the Spirit is an ongoing process in the Christian life. If you know Jesus as your personal Savior, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. He bears witness to you that you are a child of God. He's living inside of you. But if you want to be filled with the Spirit, if you want to walk daily with the recognition that the Spirit of God is leading you and you're not leading the Spirit of God, then it's important that we walk by the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 18, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and don't get drunk with wine, because if you're drunk with wine, whose control are you under? Nobody's. The wine, the bottle. For that's debauchery, Paul wrote, but be filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the Spirit, if we got life through the Spirit, then let us keep in step or walk with the Spirit. We need to be led by Him. He needs to be in control of our lives. Now, maybe you're like me, and one of the things that I hate is when I hear a, a sermon or somebody teaches me something and they expose something uh, that I know is true and needs to happen, but I'm not told how to do it at all. Isn't that frustrating? There are times when I've sat and I've listened to somebody open up the Word of God and teach me 
but they just teach me that I have a problem or that I have a need and they don't tell me anything to do in order to change that in my life. And so I don't want to do that this morning. So we're going to do two things. I'm going to tell you what it means to be, to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. And then secondly, I'm going to give you three easy steps on how you do it. Okay? First of all, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Walking by the Spirit means doing every day what you do by the enablement of the Holy Spirit. It means doing every day what you do by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. It literally means for us to walk moment by moment depending on him and sensitive to his voice. It's not just every once in a while I walk in the Spirit. Every once in a while I'm to be filled with the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit means that moment by moment of each and every day I walk by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. It means to be sensitive to the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. You see something, and and men, we can relate to this. You see something, and immediately the Spirit of God says, don't look at that. You have a choice to make at that particular moment, right? And sometimes we choose to keep looking at it. The Spirit of God says, don't look at that. That, That's not good for you. That that doesn't produce in you the fruit of the Spirit. It's, It's a fleshly desire. Look the other way. You have just a moment to make that decision, to make that choice, right? Walking in the Spirit means that we're obedient to the guiding hand of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we're obedient right away. No delayed obedience. I would say to you that delayed obedience is disobedience, right? If you delay obedience, you're not really being obedient. It reminds me of the problem that I've had over the years with my kids. My oldest, who's now, uh, how old is he? He's 22? 21? 22. He's 22. He's 22. No, he will be 22. Yeah, he will be 22. That's, that's bad, isn't it? 22, 18, and 13. And I have over the years, and you parents, you can relate to this. You've been there too, where you've said, hey, go take out the trash. And my 18-year-old is infamous for this. I will in a minute. Anybody else ever heard that or am I the only one? Good, thank you. It gives me great encouragement to know. In a minute, just a moment. I will, I will. That's the shortened version of it. I will, I will. Um, make your bed. I will, in a minute. I will, I will, in just a little while. Is that obedience, parents? No. Is there doubt about that? Because you're going, well, I don't know. Maybe I've just learned to accept that. Is that is partial obedience and I'll just take that? No, it's disobedience. When you hear the garbage truck and it's coming down the street and you recognize that it was just a minute and now just a moment has produced crisis because I know that there's chicken in that, in that garbage can. And if we don't get that out to the curb, then we're going to smell that for the next week in the garage. Can anybody relate to that? I mean, this is where I live, right? I'm just trying to be honest with you. That is not obedience because now... The disobedience, the delayed obedience has produced problems. That's what happens when we're not obedient to the Holy Spirit of God. We have just a moment to make a decision whether or not we're going to listen to the initial prompting of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit moment by moment every day, doing what you do by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you know what it is, the the next logical question is, how do we do that? I'm going to give you three ways, and these are very, very simple ways. Some of you have been here long enough to know I am a very, very simple, simple man. 
It comes after 20 years of being a, a student pastor, of, of preaching to high school kids uh, every single week. I, you know, I try to put the cookies right down there on the lower shelf where you can grab them, all right? So I'm not going to give you really complicated things because if I give you complicated things, you won't do them anyway, all right? So I'm going to give you just three very, very simple things that if you say this morning, you know, when he talks about the Holy Spirit being like dynamite, being powerful and being able to enable me to do everything that God wants me to do, I've never really totally experienced that and I want to experience that in my life. Well, then you commit to doing these three things at least for this next week, all right? Here's the first one. When you wake up tomorrow morning, I want you to pray that you'll be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Very simple, right? That's the goal. I just want you to pray when you get up tomorrow morning, God, please cause me to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God in my life today. I talked with a guy after the service, after the first service, and he's a fairly new believer, and he said, it was so exciting, man, because that's what's happening in my life right now. He said, I've been praying that prayer just this, just this week. God, just, just use me. Just speak through me. Just, just pray tomorrow morning. First thing, when you hear that alarm clock go off, when you get up out of that bed, God, cause me today to be sensitive to the leading of your spirit in my life. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says what? It says, very simply, three words, pray without ceasing. Just pray all the time. Some of us get this idea that the only time that we're to pray is, pray is when we get in our prayer closet or, you know, when we're praying at the table or, you know, when we're praying with a bunch of people and we get down our knees and we do whatever. I'm really convinced that that ought to be really a very little part of our prayer life. That if we are really people who pray without ceasing, that, we are, that means we're praying consistently and constantly. And if you're like me, you need that, right? I mean, I need to be talking to God all the time. I've told you before, I drive around in my car and, and I'm, I'm praying all the time. And sometimes I'm crying out to God because there's some problem, some issue, and I'm asking him, why? Why is this like this and what am I going to do? Sometimes I'm on my way to meet somebody and I really don't know how that conversation's going to go. And, and most of the time for me, I was telling the people in the first service, I don't oftentimes pray God, give me the words to speak. I pray, God, don't let me speak words you don't want me to speak. Because I speak lots of words. I've got lots of words for problems you don't even know you have yet. I've got those words, right? And I find myself on a regular basis praying, God, don't let me say something that I'm going to regret. There are very few times at the end of a day when I go, man, I wish I'd have said that. That would have been really good. But it's very often at the end of the day when I go, wish I hadn't have said that. Wish I could take those words back. Praying things like, God, what do, you, what do you want me to say? What do you want me not to say? What do you want me to do today? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to act today? How do you want me to behave in this situation? Overall, how can I best represent you today? That's the kind of prayer that you need to be praying. God, I want you to move and flow through my life so that I'm just sensitive to what you want me to say, what you don't want me to say, where you want me to go, where you don't want me to go, what you want me to do, what you don't want me to do. Just speak to my heart. I have this happen on a regular basis as the Spirit of God is flowing in and through me. I, there aren't very many Sundays. In fact, I can't think of a Sunday where I don't pray, God, I want you to give me words to say that aren't in my notes. I don't want to be a pastor that just gets up here and reads a script to you. 
That's why, by the way, I get myself in trouble with the clock. I understand that, okay? Because if I just stick to what I have here, everything would be fine. But I say, God, when I am in front of these people that you've entrusted into my spiritual care, you've said that I'm supposed to be one of the ones that's watching over their soul. When I speak, I want you to give me discernment. I want you to give me the ability to be able to say things that I have not even prepared to say. That's what, my friends, it means to be walking in the Spirit. And that's what God wants to do. It means, though, that we start out with a mindset that says, God, today, today is for you. I live today for your honor and for your glory. I want you to use your spirit in me, and I want you to work through me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I really believe that that is where it begins, what Peter said, preparing our minds for action. I really believe that that's where most of our battles begin, if not all of our battles begin in the mind. We have a tendency in our culture, we have a tendency to fix behaviors rather than to fix our minds. And that's probably a whole other series that we ought to do sometimes about what it means to have your mind, your mind fully set and focused and have the mind of Christ. But our battles begin in the mind. Whatever you start out your day setting your mind to do, that's what you're going to do. And if you lose the battle in the mind, you are going to lose the battle in your behavior. The reason why some of us, high school, middle school students, the reason why you behave the way that you behave and you do some of the things you do, adults the same way, the reason why we do these things is not because there's this little bad devil that's sitting on your shoulder going, Ooh, you should do this. That's not it. It is because you've already lost the battle in your mind. If your mind is set, Colossians 3, 2, on the things above and not on the things of the earth, if your mind is right, your behavior will be right. Romans chapter 8, verse 5, Paul wrote, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And so we have to make sure that our minds are properly focused. That's why you start out each day and you say, God, I want you to be in control today. That's what I'm going to set my affection toward. That's what I'm going to set my energy towards. And I want you to use your spirit to move in and through me. And each and every day, we decide whether or not we will submit to the leading of the spirit of God in our life. And whether we will be at the command post of our life or somebody else or something else or whether the Spirit of God will be in control. Paul said to the church at Thessalonica that they were quenching the Spirit. Literally what that means in the, in the, in the Greek words, the definition really would be it means to suppress the fire. To suppress the fire. If the Spirit of God is like a a blazing inferno and capable of doing incredible things in and through our lives, when when we quench him, when we exalt our needs, our desires, our wishes above those things that are the desires of the Spirit of God, we quench the Spirit. We suppress the fire. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, that in those ways we grieve the Spirit when we pursue the lust of the flesh. So we have to set our minds on the right things. And so tomorrow morning, you got to get up and you just got to simply say, middle school students, high school students, you should do this as well. First thing you get up on the morning, it's like that day after I trusted Jesus when I was nine years old. I got up and I prayed, today, God, make me perfect. 
And ever since then, I, no, I'm just kidding. It's what I pray. God, make me perfect. That was my desire. That was my mindset. Make me perfect. I want to be like you. You say at nine years old, you said that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think I made it. I, I think I made it through breakfast that, that time, but not much past breakfast. But that was my mindset. That was my desire. That was my heart to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ through my life. And so tomorrow morning, you start out that way. Number two, not only do you have to pray that God will be in control and, and, and set your affections there, but be careful what you listen to, what you watch, and where you go. And you say, well, that's pretty simple. I told you they're going to be very simple. Watch what you listen to, what you watch, and where you go. Some of us wonder why we never seem to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And I really believe it's because we consistently feed the flesh. I remember a long, long time ago, I was listening to this African-American preacher preach, and man, he was going after it big time. And he's preaching away, and he's talking about the, the, the good dog and the bad dog. And he's talking about how, you know, I, I've been given the Spirit because I'm a follower of Jesus and I have the ability to be able to, but then I'm still living in the flesh and I am living in the world system. And, and how do I, how, and he answered the question himself. He said, which dog wins? And he said, the one I feeds the most, that's the one that wins. The one that I feeds the most, that's the dog that as they battle, that's the one that wins. And that is really a great theological truth. The one that you feed the most, if you feed your, your spirit and who you are in Christ and you set your affection on things above, then that will win. If you set your, thing, your, your affections on the, on the desires of, of this earth, on the world system, that's what will win. You say, well, what is the flesh? The flesh is the old, ordinary human nature that does not relish the things of God and prefers to get satisfaction from independence, from power, from prestige and from other pleasures. It's that part of us that desires to live outside of the will of God. <laughs> Do you have that at times? A couple of you are nodding. The rest of you, you've, you've, you're doing well. That's great. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You don't have to give in to that. that. That chain, that bondage as a Christ follower, that chain that we once had to sin, that's all gone. We don't have to give in to it any longer. The Spirit gives us the ability to live to Him, not to the desires of the flesh. Whatever you feed the most, that's what's going to ultimately win. Apart from the Spirit or in the flesh, we're not capable of doing the right things with the right motive. Now, some of you say, well, I do good things all the time, and I can do them. In fact, some of you may be here this morning, and you say, well, I'm not even a follower of Jesus. I haven't stepped across the line of faith, and, and I, I, I do good things for people. Yes, but what is your motivation for doing them? I would submit that apart from the Spirit, in the flesh, we are not capable of doing the right things with the proper motive. The things that we want to do, we will find ourselves not doing. The things we know we shouldn't do, we'll find ourselves doing, said the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, where he said, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, 
but not the ability to be able to carry it out unless the Spirit of God is enabling me to do that. And so walking by the Spirit is what we do when the desires produced by the Spirit are stronger than the desires that are produced by the flesh. And if you're watching the wrong things, middle school, high school students, again, listen to me. If you're watching the wrong things, if you're listening to the wrong music, if you're watching the wrong stuff on TV or going to the wrong kind of movies, or worse yet, you're even hanging out with the wrong kind of people, you'll never be able to walk in the Spirit. You're not capable of doing that. You will be feeding the, the, the desires of the flesh and what's going to win. That's what's going to win, not God. Number three, we need to meditate on God's word. I believe that God speaks through his word. Do you believe that? Yeah, a few of you do. I really do. It's amazing to me how many of us want to get the latest and the greatest books. And man, if we go into that Lifeway Christian bookstore and they got a big pop-up thing there that says, wah, you know, and you go, he looks good. Wish our pastor looked like that. And then it's got some really key little phrases there and you go, man, I'm gonna take that and make that part of my life. And so you get how to live your best life now. Okay, let me just tell you, there are some good books in the Christian bookstore. I'm, my shelves are full of books, right? I bought lots of books this week. I've been diving into the Holy Spirit like I've never delved into the Holy Spirit this week. There's some great books out there. But let me tell you this, apart from you understanding and committing yourself to living by this book, you will never, ever, ever live a Spirit-filled life. You won't. And so if you are just simply a student of the latest and the greatest pastor, Christian leader, Bible teacher out there that wrote a book that you need to do this, and if you do this, you will live your best life now. If that's you, I'm here to tell you, you will never, ever, ever walk in the Spirit like what I'm talking about this morning. It is imperative that you meditate on the Word of God, that you take the Word of God and you engraft it into your life. You know and you understand it. Joshua 1.8 says, This is the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Let me ask you if I really could convince some of you that if you do these things, if you live this way, your life will be meaningful, it will be successful, it will be everything that God intended it to be. If you were really convinced of that, you'd spend a lot more time in it. But many of us aren't. The psalmist said in Psalm 1, 1 and 2, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 119, 97, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all day long. It can only be your meditation all day long if you know and understand the Word of God. And the only way that you know and understand the Word of God is to spend time in the Word of God. Some of you moms and dads wonder why you can't give biblical counsel to your kids. You know why? You only speak in the flesh. You only speak, speak based on your experiences when you were a kid, which I've come to learn as a youth pastor and now as a parent, they don't really care, okay? You wonder why you can't speak spiritual truth into, your life. It's, it, into their lives. It's because you don't know the word of God yourself. You need to take time to know and understand the word of God. It's one of the most important ways to recognize the difference between the spirit of God's guidance and somebody else is you test what the spirit of God, what you think the spirit of God is telling you against biblical principle. Does that make sense to you? 
In other words, God's never going to tell me to do something that's contrary to his word. You do understand that, right? On a regular basis, as I'm counseling with people, they tell me that they're going to do something or not going to do something, and it immediately goes, boop, 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 sirens going off. Sometimes I actually do that when I'm sitting with people. So, yeah, don't come counsel with me because I do these things, right? And they're going, what, what? And I'm going, warning sign, like what you just said God told you to do? I don't know what you're listening to, but that wasn't God. Like, what'd you have for dinner last night before you went to bed? How many pieces of pizza did you have? What, what happened? Because that's, that's not what God says. God said this, so he couldn't have told you that. Just this week, I had a situation very similar to that. So if you know and understand the word of God, you're able to discern when it's his spirit that's speaking, because it will always be congruent with what God has written in his word. It will never be contrary. That's why we need to have a knowledge of God's word to help us discern whether or not our desires come from the Holy Spirit. That's the way we test that inner voice of the Holy Spirit of God because he's never going to prod us to do anything that's contrary to God's word. All right, so those three things. You wake up tomorrow morning and you pray, God, hey, I want you to be the center of my life today. Tell me what to say, what not to say, where to go, what not to get, where not to go. Tell me to speak to a person, not speak to a person. You know, say th- whatever, God, I, just, I, want, I want you to be the center. I'm going to set my mind totally. That's going to be my mindset today. Number two, you watch what you listen to. Watch what you watch. Be careful the people that you're hanging out with. And then number three, make sure that you're spending time in the Word. Now, what happens when you do that? I'm glad you asked. We bear fruit. We bear fruit. Jesus' fruit. It starts growing all over our lives. That's Galatians 5. That's the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things begin growing into our life. Those things start happening. Jesus' fruit just starts popping out all over the place. You Picture it with me. If, you, if you've got an apple tree out in your backyard, you've never gone out in the backyard and seen your apple tree just kind of going, ah. I really want to, I want to make an apple, right? That doesn't happen, right? And you go out there and you see some buds. Then before too long, you go, there's a green apple and apples just start growing. I mean, the, the apple tree doesn't have to do anything. He just kind of, you know, he's just kind of there. And then all of a sudden you come out and there's, there's apples all over the place. Let me tell you, this is exactly what happens. And and, and this is why it's important for you to understand that we don't produce fruit in our lives. Again, that's, I, I love this whole concept because it makes it, again, it's not about us, it's about him. The Spirit of God, he, he, he comes to live inside of us. We make a decision on a daily basis whether or not we're going to submit to his lordship in our life. And then as we submit to him, he produces fruit. Because we're in the right place, we're an apple tree, and all of a sudden, boop, you wow, there's an apple. There's love. Guys, you come home from work tomorrow and, and you respond in a different way to your wife and you're loving and you're kind and, and you're gentle and she goes, Woo, Jesus fruit. He's got Jesus fruit on him. That's what happens when you walk in the spirit. Your coworkers start going, man, he just seems kinder. He's gentler. That's Jesus fruit. 
That's what happens when we submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ in our life. When we allow his spirit to flow in and through us, he produces fruit. That's what happens. Jesus' fruit starts hanging all over you. I ask you, is there any fruit hanging on you? Right? Because if the spirit of God is alive and well in your life, just like that apple tree out in the backyard, it can't help but start popping apples out all over those limbs. You know, most of us who are followers of Jesus would say that we want the Spirit to fill our lives, that we even would want to walk in the Holy Spirit. But I want you to ask yourself the question, do you really understand the reality of what might happen if you really walked in the Spirit daily? I mean, because if it really is true and the Spirit of God is like dynamite, I mean, that's like an explosive, right? I mean, I was never in the army, didn't do any of that kind of stuff, but I'm just saying. I mean, explosives, I mean, when, when dynamite goes off, something moves, something happens. Do you really want that? Because that can be kind of scary. He might ask you to give up something that you're not ready to give up. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a habit that you have that you know is not pleasing to him, that's harming your testimony, it's harming relationships. And the Spirit of God might say, all right, we got it, we got to prune that off. Well, don't submit to him and don't, don't, don't allow him to, to move in your life and walk in the Spirit if you're not ready to do that. He might ask you to go someplace that you're not ready to go. Maybe he wants you to go next door and invite your neighbor to come over and have dinner. And you go, I, I don't know him. Well, that's why you have him over for dinner, so you get to know him, Right? You go, I don't know what I'd say. You know, I come from another country, and I, it, it might be just a little awkward. Yeah, well, hey, there was a time when your best friend wasn't your friend. So dive in. The water's warm. You know, get used to it. The Spirit of God might prompt you to do that. He may ask you to do something that you don't want to do or something that you don't feel capable of doing, and that may seem scary to you. You might think that living the Spirit-filled life is the most dangerous thing that you could ever do, but I want to assure you that walking in the Spirit in obedience is really the most exhilarating way to spend life. There are so many of us, I think, that we have claimed the name of Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. We've stepped across that line of faith, and yet we have never really allowed, for many of us, it's quenching, it's grieving the Spirit of God, suppressing his fire in our life, not submitting to his lordship in our life. And I want to challenge you this morning that if you will do just that, you will enjoy the life that Jesus said that is in John chapter 10, verse 10, that is, that is abundant, that is, that is full. Life that accomplishes the purpose for which he created us. And when we do that as individuals, then obviously, as a local church, incredible things begin to happen. I would already submit to you that a lot of things that have happened in our brief history here at Northwest Community Church are because there are at least a lot of people here that are at Northwest that are walking in the Spirit. That we are attempting to live Spirit-filled lives and letting God move in and through us to use us to do great things for the cause of the gospel. And I want that, I want that for, each, for each one of you. Let's pray together. Bow your heads. If you would, just before I pray, I want to ask you, if you'd make a commitment just for one week, hey, Brian, I will do the things, those three simple things that you asked me to do, that you taught us to do, very simple things. I will pray tomorrow morning, God, 
I want you to be the focus of my mind today. I want you to be right at the controls of my life. I'm going to be careful about what I watch, uh, what I listen to, the people that I'm hanging out with. And then thirdly, I'm going to spend time in the Word. I'm going I'm to meditate in the Word. I'm going to understand biblical principles so that I know how to live my life. I'm going to do those three things this week, and I'm going to see what might happen. Would you raise your hand if you'll just commit to say, hey, I'll, this week, I'll do those three little simple things. In my life, I'll do them, and I'll just see what happens. But you have a commitment from me. Thanks. God, I pray for those that lifted up their hands. God, I want to do that. I try to do that each week. I fail on a regular basis. But you know the desire of my heart, and I believe that's the desire of so many that are here as well. God, we want your dynamite to move in and through us. We want the Spirit of God to do great things in and through our lives as we are enabled to live the life that you've called us to live so that we make a difference for the cause of the gospel. In our circle of influence, whatever that may be, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in the workplace, God, that only happens when we set our affection, Colossians 3, 2, on those things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. I pray that we'll do that today, that we'll take full advantage of that power that's available to us because of the indwelling filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.